0: You're listening to the official podcast of Asbury University, produced by students with God-honoring conversations that inform, edify, and encourage. This is Asbury. We explore culture and current topics through a Christian worldview, promoting a well-balanced life, and we empower our community to belong, become, and be set apart. I'm your host, Abby Lobb. Welcome to This is Asbury. Well, welcome to the podcast it's a special season here at asbury We're getting ready to celebrate christmas we love christmas around here and we have a professor here who knows the season very well he is the leader of our songs of the season concert but he also does a lot of other things here at asbury so welcome dr nathan miller
1: hello abby i'm so glad to be here
0: yes do you want to tell us two things what you do here at asbury and tell us a little bit about the upcoming songs of the season concert
1: yes I am a professor in our music department where I teach courses in musicology, so that's music history. We have a one-year-long course, two-semester-long course Mm -hmm. in the history of music and Western culture. And then I teach upper-level music history courses like world music, a seminar, as well as a course in the history of African-American music, and a course on music criticism, as well as directing the orchestra and directing the university's chamber music programs. And in the nature of events at Asbury, the uh, orchestra and the chorale each year put on the Songs of the Season concert, Mm -hmm. along with the English department. Coordinating that concert this year falls to me. So I'm always excited for this event.
0: You've done that a couple years now. Tell us about what people can expect when they go to Songs of the Season.
1: We've had it on the university's campus for a long time. And it's really a more thoughtful, deeper sort of reflection on the advent and the Christmas mm-hmm. season. So not necessarily just your- Jingle bells. <laughs> jingle bells, or even just the sort of like real nostalgic grab a hot cocoa and sit on the couch and be merry. It's
0: gonna make you think a little bit.
1: Yeah, and this year's theme is thinking about light coming into the world and thinking about how artists and authors over time have placed themselves on their hills, waiting and looking and wondering and expecting the coming light that Christmas brings. Uh, so there's a real rich historical tradition there. I'm not sure when it started. My predecessor, Ron Holtz, began the concert, and it was happened when I was a student. So between oh, okay. 2001 and 2005, I know it at least happened then. I guess this is the third year.
0: It's such a good show. I definitely encourage people to check it out. Mm-hmm. It's December 1st, is that correct?
1: December 1st, at mm-hmm. 7.30. I think it really reflects Asbury well mm-hmm. because it's students and faculty coming together, mm-hmm. and it's cross-disciplinary. It's liberal mm-hmm. arts. It's thinking, mm-hmm. it's like listening and reflecting. And like hearing spoken word as well as music. Mm-hmm. This creates a really beautiful evening. And it does something that doesn't happen much in culture around the Christmas season, which is really this like reflecting on the expectation. You sometimes get that at church, if you particularly if you go to a high church.
0: I like that. It's a good way to kick off December. And if you can't join in person, you guys live stream it as well. So, what is your favorite genre of music?
1: Oh, there aren't, I don't have favorite genres of music.
0: Okay.
1: I want to seek out the excellent. Mm-hmm and genres, like genre and music functions to give us expectations. Mm -hmm. So if you go to a hip hop concert, do you know what to expect. Mm -hmm. But if you inhibit yourself by wanting certain, just certain genres, you might miss excellence in another genre. Like if I went expecting the orchestra and heard this other concert in another genre, whether Mm -hmm. it be hip hop or rock Mm -hmm. or country or anything else, it could be really excellent. But because I limited myself by those expectations or only wanting one thing, I would miss out on something excellent but i think it's important to recognize yeah. the value of genres that kind of tells us what to expect
0: yeah. well and it creates a feeling we all know this when you hear mm. music of course it's like oh the tearjerker or the one that gets you amped up of mm. course do, do you find that this type of art form can't be replicated by any other art form because it does create that, that feeling it invokes beauty or sorrow or whatever it is
1: yeah. So that's a, I mean that's a trickier question. Like is it different or unlike other art forms? So it's different in other art forms in that music exists in time. Mm-hmm. So philosophically, mm-hmm. music happens and then is gone. And so it exists in time and place. Where often we kind of think of visual art as existing mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. So Like if theoretically, there's like little caveats to this, but if you want to see the Mona Lisa, its context is a space context. Mm. Now, maybe there's like someone who is just really disruptive next to you and something in time affects its space context, but it largely remains unchanged over time. And music, however, is is gone. Mm. There's a a French composer, philosopher, uh, Marcel Duchamp, who (laughs) created a music piece called Sculpture Musicale. And the idea was to try to make music a space art. So he'd take speakers and sounds that would emanate, but unchanged, so droning Mm. sounds, and place them around a space so that as you walk through the space, Mm, the sounds are changing. So it's like tried to philosophically remove music in that that sort of installation from being a time art to being a space art. So Mm. how that affects us as people is like we are coming together It's an irreplaceable moment. It's Mm. like an unduplicable moment. Mm. And throughout the course of human history, that's been almost entirely true until 100 years ago, Mm. we started recording things. And it's like interesting to think how different engagement with music is since the advent of recording technology and the ability Mm. to capture something and then listen back to it.
0: Yeah, and now streaming, even when it was recorded, we couldn't necessarily have it at our fingertips. Yeah. Now we can, so that changes it further.
1: Yeah, and so it creates, and this is why I think live concerts can be so valuable is because we don't do that very often anymore. Like music has become An individual thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's why people get it so into genres. And You can think about this at the high school cafeteria. Mm -hmm. I mean by looking at kids in different tables at the cafeteria you can imagine Mm -hmm. what music they're listening to. And they can kind of cultivate their own sounds. And so like I think when we often listen to music we hear things that we really identify as individuals. Where historically in the past, because music was unable to be conceived as anything but a communal activity, Mm -hmm music would have placed us always sort of into a community as opposed to being like this thing that defines me, it would define my community.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's a perfect explanation of the Taylor Swift phenomenon. <laughs> you know, like people mm. that, that is the community. I hate to even like use that reference yeah. in this conversation, but that is because of that community aspect, like what you're saying.
1: Yeah, I, I've not thought about it and I don't think much about Taylor Swift. <laughs> except for when she interrupts my football games. Right. Um, but there is something that's really communal about that right. that seems different than other yeah. fandoms of musicians. I would argue, I
0: think that's the draw, you know. Do you have
1: family deep into Swift? No, land? No, gosh, no. No?
0: I think I could name maybe one song.
1: My daughter, my oldest daughter's seven. Uh-huh. She's in second grade now. And it's weird when your kids go to school, you'll know this, mm-hmm. all of a sudden they have a life outside of you. Oh yeah. And it's just like, in points is really beautiful in some ways Is like,
0: Terrifying. is this okay <laughs> yes
1: and somehow she just knows taylor swift songs. Yeah. Like, we don't listen to taylor my swift daughter songs. does like, too how does she know taylor swift songs from school like when is, when is that happening so but all, all of a sudden she's starting to cultivate her own music she doesn't have any devices or mm-hmm. anything to like make playlists but intuitively like, she has a notebook mm-hmm. she, she'll write down artists and songs that she mm. wants to like know so that yeah. she can find them when she needs to find them it's like a really funny. It like is really creating funny. creating her own little playlist on paper.
0: That's adorable. It's yeah. like when we made mixtapes. Yeah. Good times. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of the most popular musician of current daytime, do you think that our modern day idea of good music has changed?
1: Yeah, so so much of how we engage music is limited by the technology that brings it to us. Mm-hmm. And that's not a condemnation of concurrent culture. It's always mm-hmm. been the case. Like, why are songs as long as they are? Well, that's how long LPs were. Like, so, you know, music before the advent of recording, like, so jazz was really popular as recording comes to be, and most performances in a hall of jazz were long, extended-form pieces, and they've got to, like, condense it down Mm -hmm. so they could fit on a record. Mm -hmm. And then, similar, like, when the Beatles come out with, like, Sgt. Pepper's Hearts Club Band, like, the length of that work Mm -hmm. is the length of the LP at that time. Mm -hmm. But even before that, like, the limitations of the instruments and ensembles accessible... Where it would derive what sorts of pieces were possible. So a good example of this historically is the keyboard and the, like the development of the piano, mm-hmm. different tuning systems. And so it used to be like based on like if you played a clavichord, which is an old sort of ancestor to the piano, but it's like beautiful in its own right. It could do some things well, like it could actually play with a vibrato because mm-hmm. when the the key that struck the chord was a metal tangent, and so it was like determining the length of the chord and if you pressed harder you could get a vibrato so Mm -hmm. some composers would write for the clavichord and there would be these beautiful vibrato effects Mm -hmm. they could add in that later instruments couldn't do but the fretted clavichord was limited in the sorts of notes that could be played Mm -hmm. so as keyboard innovation became more complex and then as tuning systems became more complex bach writes the um writes pieces in all keys so he writes a handful of collections of keyboard works, the Art of the Fugue, and others that like explore all twelve keys, mm-hmm. because now it was possible to play these things mm. in a different way. Sometimes the technology leads the way, right? And sometimes right. it follows the way. For yeah, artists. That makes sense. a composer Strauss demanded so much of his horn players that they had to like invent horns that could be more accurate. Oh wow! So that huh. they could, they, so that they wouldn't get too stressed out, or that they wouldn't lose their jobs because they are inaccurate. Yeah. So sometimes, like an artist. Innovation right. kind of drives technological innovation. And yeah. sometimes, like, it's the inverse. Or vice versa. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And you get
1: all sorts of, like, beautiful things. And the challenge for artists is our composers, our musicians, is just how do we take the mediums that we have and the things that are accessible to us and then do something with excellence? Mm. So often, I'd say, like, like, innovation is the mother of invention. And composers yeah. or musicians who have no limitations often create terrible works.
0: Do you think there is any kind of line that you've seen where consumerism or advertising has sort of influenced the art form of music in a way that does make it less than.
1: Something being commercial doesn't make it not art. Right. And neither does mm-hmm. something being folk music mm-hmm. make it not popular. If you think about where those things come from, there's a handful of like places of divide across human history. So we didn't we didn't think of art that idea of how we think of art or the starving artist or someone trying to make music for the internal expression of the self is not a long tradition that really we often think about that beginning with Beethoven Mm. in some ways. And so you have composers before Beethoven wouldn't have thought about their their art in the same way as like this thing inside of me that I've got to express outward. Instead like is often before like in the classical era with like Mozart, they're thinking of there being ideal phrases and there's like an ideal shape bent to this musical idea and it's gotta be refined in certain ways. And like Bach was a craftsman who like worked out these really complex ideas and building them together. And Beethoven kind of comes along and wants to like, he has this desire to express this thing from within. And in the 19th century in the romantic era, other artists from other genres like look to Beethoven as a sort of model of this thing, but there's When I teach my students about Beethoven, I sometimes call it the Cult of Beethoven because uh, he starts really elevating the role of the composer and this idea that music should be something more, something deeper. And so when people listen to Beethoven, they hear Beethoven 5, and people will describe it as like, oh, that theme is as if death was knocking on fate's door. (laughs) And like you get these deep Uh inner sort of readings of music. And at that point, we have a real sort of divide that begins happening between art music and popular music. Mm. Whereas there wouldn't have really been the similar differentiation, those divides weren't the same. And then popular music and music as like a consumer item mm-hmm. starts emerging through the 19th century mm-hmm. as well. And there's some good things about that. Like music starts becoming, from the Middle Ages up to the 20th century, becoming more accessible mm. to people. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly art music. Only the wealthy had access to right. art music before, and it took, like, this remarkable resource, and you had uh, a system that had uh, benefactors. Mm. Like, Handel worked for the Esterhazy family, mm. and he lived at their at the family, and he was essentially a servant in the family's household, and he composed music for mm. them. And their wealth paid for the orchestra right. that played his music. And so, like, freeing from that, like, in bringing music to people yeah. where people could Request have their the own concerts <laughs> and, like, Regular people could subscribe to concerts mm-hmm. and could be appealed to them. How
0: can music make us empathetic to others? This
1: is similar with a lot of the arts, and so this isn't like exclusive to music. But reading a novel helps you to imagine life through someone else's narration mm-hmm. and someone else's eyes. And music can do that in a really emotional way, in a less descriptive way. And this is why people would say Beethoven. People describe Beethoven as thinking deeper than words. So there's a way that music can do that. I like to hear the way someone processes the world or hear someone processing emotion and music can be a really profound way to understand their life. Imagine we all have some experiences like this in our life where we've heard something and like heard it in a song and understood it more Mm -hmm. deeply than we couldn't. I think this is particularly true like with music outside of cultures of your own, like if you can really listen and kind of understand, Mm -hmm. like you can come to like a sense of like feeling with someone mm. and not just mm-hmm. understanding their argument understanding their perspective. Yeah. yeah. So it can be really powerful. And like I, I often as a Christian I think like how to listen with the ears of Christ. Mm. And sometimes we we people come to music and there's been a I think a kind of a sad tradition in Christian culture of like wanting to censor for good mm-hmm. reasons. The Bible's pretty clear. Like whatever is good, whatever mm-hmm. is true, like think on these things. Yeah. And like I want to like what we hear and what we listen to, like we know this from Sunday mm-hmm. school, like singing songs about mm-hmm. the books of the Bible, like the songs we sing as kids, the lullabies yep. our mothers sang to us get rooted deep mm-hmm. in our being. I, I don't think it's unwise to be cautious about what we root right. deep in our being. But sometimes like Christian society has like marked itself against other people expressing themselves. And so an, an example like with hip-hop. Stay away. Mothers <laughs> against hip-hop. Yeah. And there are people in African-American community in L.A. who are like, why are you more concerned about us saying it than us living it? And these experiences that we're growing yeah. up with. And that's like a really famous bond, it's like the boys in the hood is mm-hmm. this really dark piece mm-hmm. about a kid growing up. Yeah. And <clears throat> when I play this in class for students, I often think if you can't listen to this with empathy for the circumstances that you're hearing, there've been points listening to this some music that's hard and dark where like it's brought me to tears. Like what does Jesus hear?
0: You mentioned an alum who is coming to play the trumpet for Songs of the Season. I know we have some pretty well-known Asbury music alums who they may not get a lot of attention, but they're out there. Can you talk about some of them?
1: Yeah, so we've had a really great music program here for a long time. Sometimes even some of the other alums are former Asburyans that they'll mention and things. sometimes they fail to mention that they were... Asbury music majors, for instance, yeah. Dean Jones oh, okay. was a music major oh. at Asbury. So we've had a long history. There's a famous old organist named Diane Bish, who's like this very colorful organist. And 30 years ago, people wouldn't have known who that was. Jim Kernow was a student here and later a professor in the 1970s, and he's one of the most prominent composers for Wind Band. Uh, Mark Ridenour plays assistant principal trumpet in the Chicago Symphony. Wow. Yeah. Um that's at the very top it's a big job. of that, of that <laughs> industry. Um, Roger Blackburn was a student here and he's the fourth trumpet in the Philadelphia Orchestra and both Chicago Symphony and the Philadelphia Orchestra are often considered top five mm. orchestras in the world. Mm. Wow. So that's at the very, very top of that. Greg Terrey is a tenor, who's an opera singer and has a significant opera career traveling mm. around Europe and the United States playing. And he and his wife have a, have like a pretty prominent opera podcast called Living Opera.
0: Oh, Wow. That's fantastic.
1: Um, well, so that just kind of touches the surface. Yeah, that's if I were great. to go longer, we could touch And we more.
0: could go all day. Well, you studied music, obviously, mm-hmm. extensively, and you wrote your dissertation. Yeah, so my PhDs music- in musicology okay. and ethnomusicology. Okay, so you you studied music and identity. In closing, can you talk about your studies and what, what that means?
1: They'll edit out the 45 minutes of rambling <laughs> that I'll do after I get version. started. So my dissertation, <laughs> I grew up in the Salvation Army, and there's like – it's kind of a very prominent musical culture in the Salvation Army that's not been studied a ton. Um, so my dissertation is on music of members of the Salvation Army in the United States in the late 19th century and how their music both shaped and reflected their sense of identity. And so I think this is something that music can do for us, that it that it both, like what we listen to both tells us something and like what music we make and play tells us something about who we are, but it also plays a part in shaping us and shaping like how we exist in the world. And so in, the, in my dissertation, look at this time, there's a shift that takes place in the Salvation Army during that time of taking music that was like from the, the communities they are reaching out to. So from like the music halls, which are mm-hmm. in the bars and the pubs mm-hmm. and the taverns, but taking the music around them from this culture and then like transforming it. Mm-hmm. And I suggest it like reflects a theology of transformation in the Salvation Army piece could be transformed wow. and a song could be transformed. But when you'd go to the place where people are singing these songs and they heard this song, it would identify with them. So there'd be a sense of like, we are you, like we're like, you are our people. We are your mm. people. Um, but then like there's, and this is a good thing and a bad thing. The Salvation Army develops this really distinct and beautiful tradition of music, but it starts to be a music more that reflects an identity that's separate from those around them, they start writing their own songs, which is good and they're wonderful. And there's a few like bridge songs, which is like half created new and half Mm. old bar songs. Mm. Uh, But just seeing how as they developed a more distinct identity and how that affects their mission and their place. But it both, listening to them shows both a shaping and a reflecting of how they understood themselves. And Mm. when we sing those songs, we sing them over and over again, they get into us. It Both is shaping us and reflecting our identity.
0: Interesting. So think about that. Next time you listen, check your Spotify playlist and
1: Yeah, well (laughs) think about it. What is it? What is it shaping (laughs) in you? And like choosing to listen outside of our genres, choosing to listen to something. Tell my students, when you listen to a new music, ask yourself like don't ask yourself, do I like it? But ask yourself like what would someone who likes this like about Mm. it? It's like a good way to start walking towards empathy. And a great way to do that with someone is to find someone who likes something you don't understand and say,
0: what is it that you like about
1: this? Show me.
0: Last question, what is your favorite instrument to play?
1: If I'm trying to not think, just have fun can't be playing the banjo with friends in the living room around the
0: porch. That's fair. I like that. Well, it's never too late to learn something new, right? So get out yes. there and take some lessons. I know yeah. Asbury has lessons for adults and, and mm-hmm. kids in the community, so yep. it's never too late. It's never too late. right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being with us. Appreciate your time. Mm-hmm. We'll see you at Songs of the Season.
1: Yes, thanks.
0: Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This is Asbury. To learn more about Asbury University, visit asbury.edu.